You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hey, guys. Hey, What's Kyle. Up, Kyle. And today we're also joined by pastor, author, speaker, Dr. Ray Ortland, who has told me I am not to refer to him as Dr. Ortland. So the, I'm going to follow his direction. Ray is a pastor at Emmanuel Church in Nashville. He's the president of Renewal Ministries. He's the author of many books. The, uh, the husband of, uh, of author, Jenny Ortland, uh, for 49 years. Do I have that right? Hey, December 18th, this year, 2021, it will be 50 years exactly. Wow. Okay. Incredible. Yeah. Congratulations. We are going to party. <laughs> no kidding. I love it. I love it. And along with Janny is, is a father to four and a grandfather to, is this number right? 15? Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Father of a multitude. Yeah. yeah. Father of a multitude. There you go. We're really grateful to have you on the show. I got to tell you, um, uh, this was, uh, this was such a, a fun opportunity for us when we thought about who we wanted to have on this season. We wrote down a list of a few people and we're like, you know what? Let's see if, uh, Doctor, what for the last time I promise, Ray Ortland uh, <laughs> uh, will join join us for the podcast this season. And I have to tell you, this is not podcast related, but we also have an obligatory few minutes of banter up front. The audience knows this. The thing that I am most jealous uh, about you, as I follow you online, is your hunting photos. As somebody who grew up hunting with his dad and who doesn't get to hunt very much anymore, I see your hunting photos and I think. Oh my goodness, I, this guy is living the dream out there in Tennessee. Absolutely. I am at this moment looking at, at the wall opposite uh, the opposite side of my study. I'm looking at a magnificent Wyoming antelope that I took two years ago. And now he greets me every morning as I walk in. Well, <laughs> yeah, kind of greets you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're bringing up my my jealousy of you is I've actually never gone hunting in my life, but every time you post something about your study, uh, that's yeah. when I am just oh. like, oh my goodness. JT, you are still living in the outer darkness, brother. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Well, uh, the last conversation I had with Janie, she mentioned how thrilled she was that you had some wall space dedicated to your various uh, dismembered heads. So it sounds like it's working out great. <laughs> for everybody. She is so gracious and tolerant. She said it. She said it so kindly. She actually was genuinely excited for you. Yes. She's awesome. Well, we've been exploring Genesis 12 through 50 this season on Knowing Faith, and today we find ourselves at what is the climax of the Jacob and Esau saga. Uh, over the last few episodes, we've been exploring this story, and then we arrive at Genesis 33, and that much drama has transpired before we get to this story, right? I mean, there has been a significant rupture in a family. There has been a stolen blessing, uh, and there has been a divided house. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 33, we get to what is the coming together of a house divided, a reunion of sorts. And the story is fascinating. And so, uh, all right, so let me read Genesis 33 verses one through four, uh, and that'll be a place where we can start and keep the conversation going. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. 
But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So let's just pause here. I know that the story continues and it's kind of a climactic moment, but if you've been following along with the story, I mean, I I found myself asking Ray, is this for real? Like, is this really happening? Because it seems like there's a lot working against this moment happening in this way. And it doesn't seem like Jacob is assuming this is how this interaction is going to go down at all. Is that right? I mean, does this seem strange? It's it's right. surprising, isn't it? Because these guys have been alienated. Uh, remember back in chapter uh, 27, um, Jacob cheated Esau and Esau responded by hating uh, Jacob, plotting to kill him. Then not long after that, Jacob left town. He's been away for years. He's been with distant family members far away. Now he's finally on his way back home and the moment of truth is about to arrive. Right. So the way they meet, um, it ought to be a knife fight. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. But if they fall into each other's arms and melt in tears. So yeah. we wonder what's going on here. Right, yeah, that's what I find myself asking is thinking through uh, like this is, if, if you, especially the lead up, like Jacob is taking all of these preparations almost to like shield himself and his family, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like he's try like like he's he's staggering the group. He's trying to he's uh, he's kind of hedging his bets in this interaction. Yeah. And Esau just like throws off all kind of regard and just sprints after yeah. him and embraces him. If I saw Esau running at me and I was Jacob at this point, I would not be expecting a hug. I think I'd be no. expecting a tackle. At this Jacob point. expects the worst. Yeah, and understandably, even rightly. Um, one of the reasons this is so striking to me and, and so improbable and surprising, and this is a theme that pops up along the way in the book of Genesis. We see the same thing, for example, in the first book of the New Testament in Matthew, is that the outsiders sometimes are more noble and more admirable than the insiders. Hmm. And so here we have this outsider Esau, he really doesn't have a sense of God in his heart. He's just kind of a tough guy here in this world of, of, of men and affairs, full of swagger, full of self-importance. Jacob is the man, he's just had a profound encounter with God. Mm-hmm. And um, God has really marked him. He has fine, he, he really is, he's the kind of guy who would smile at you in church on Sunday, but you would not want to buy a used car from him on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jacob. He yeah. has been a real jerk. But through all these years, slowly, God's been humbling him, deepening him, and he is becoming now an authentic man of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because he's an insider, God's hand is on him. And God has been so patient and so gracious. But here in this moment of truth, in this climactic moment with everything on the line, who steps up with nobility but the outsider Esau? And who is in the position of responding and receiving mercy and grace? It's the insider, Jacob. Right. Mm -hmm. And Jen, you were making a similar connection here a few episodes ago in, in, in the story of Abraham and Sarah with Pharaoh. Yeah. 
And with the Egyptians. Yeah, and I think you see it elsewhere uh, also with Abimelech. There are times where the the the, the Canaanite ruler, where the foreign ruler is the one who demonstrates more virtue than, than the children of God. And I mean, that's a motif you see again and again. You see it uh, when you hit Joshua. That's what Rahab does. She's, you know, she's the one who's the outsider who shouldn't even have the knowledge of the one true God and acts more righteously uh, than anyone else in the story. So, Even yeah. a few episodes ago, we were talking about Hagar. Uh, yeah. And she cries, she's one who cries out to the Lord in the middle of an injustice being done to her. Right, absolutely. And God draws near to the one who has essentially been outcast. pushed out, outcast mm-hmm. uh, from the camp. So, and, and Ray, what do you think? Is that just supposed to be ironic for us or is it pointing to something else? Oh, it seems very true to life. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, it's, it's sometimes... In our world today, we see people making who make no claims about Jesus and the gospel and the Bible and so forth. Sometimes they are more; um, they have more integrity and uh, more selflessness, more nobility than uh, the people who make lots of claims uh, about Jesus and the gospel and the Bible. So I think the Bible is really very, it's very leveling with us, being very honest with us. It's being honest with us about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's warning us, there's an implicit warning here not to be cocky uh, as if believing in Jesus makes us better people. The reason we believe in Jesus is not because we're so virtuous, but because we're not. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. Uh, God is among his people, we see here in Genesis. Mm-hmm. But godliness is not always among his people. We see <laughs> right. here in, in, in Genesis. Mm-hmm. I was just reading Deuteronomy chapter 9 this morning. Israel is about to inherit the promised land. And the, the, the title of, that pa- of the passage that they write in is a warning against self-righteousness. I won't read the whole passage, but he's basically saying, the reason you're inheriting this land is not because of what you've done, but because of how gracious God is. The last verse, he says, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. You're actually just a stiff-necked people. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. <laughs> and isn't it striking that that's in the law? Yeah, right, The right. law is warning us against self-righteousness? That's right. 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 Now, Ray, you have sons. Is this typical uh, brother behavior? Uh, <laughs> After, 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 a, after a fight, like I've got a brother and I've got to say, we've had, uh, we've had a more physical fights at, for far lesser crimes than what Jacob has committed against Esau. We've gone to blows for, you yeah. know, basic who ate the last slice of pizza. Jacob has gone far beyond that. So is this, is this what brotherly relations were like in the Ortland household? Yeah, or is this a unique work of grace that we're witnessing in the story of Jacob? It's a divine miracle that the Ortlands are not all in prison. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the Bible is is uh, leveling with us and 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 helping us to expect mm-hmm. that unbelievers will at times be better human beings than believers, mm. and and believers who have more reasons to be noble and sacrificial and merciful will at times be the opposite. I, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if that weren't true? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what are we seeing in our nation today? Mm-hmm. Uh, look at look at the the Capitol, uh, Washington, on January sixth, and some of the rioters carrying crosses, mm-hmm. carrying signs. Jesus saves. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe, guys, that 
the secular progressivism, okay, it has issues. We need to think that through and be careful. But I believe in the United States of America at this time, that secular progressivism is not our problem as Christian believers. Our problem as Christian believers is our Christianity. Mm-hmm. Our Christianity is defective. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is actually alerting us. We can expect to see this among ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's not okay. And the hypocrisies are blatant. Mm. And let's confront ourselves and be honest with ourselves about this. But let's not be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. If we're ever shocked when we see hypocrisy in ourselves, it's only because we were idealistic to begin with. Yeah. And, and, and in the face of this hypocrisy, of Jacob's hypocrisy and his unrighteousness, Esau is being very gratuitous in the blessing and favor that he demonstrates to him. I mean, he you know he meets him, he embraces him, he falls on his neck, kisses him, they wept. And then if I could just pull us in a little bit further, it says Esau lifts up his eyes and saw the women and children. He said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. The servants drew near and they and their children bowed down. Leah likewise and their and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And then Jacob like begs him, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. I gotta say this part of the story gives me really strong Joseph, Joseph in Egypt vibes. Doesn't it? it? It feels, I feel like there are echoes of this story where you have this brother who was wronged, who is now extending mercy and grace to the brother and in this story, but in the brothers and Joseph's story that had wronged him. And it's crazy because Joseph is getting to witness all of this. Mm-hmm, he's right he? there. He's right there. And he's actually, when he is sold into slavery, he's going to end up getting to to do this, isn't he? Mm. You know, I find this passage moving because Jacob is finally not trying to get by on the basis of his wits Mm -hmm. and his cleverness. Uh, He is finally humbling himself. Mm -hmm. And what's touching is he calls Esau my lord. Mm. Esau calls him my brother. Mm. Jacob puts himself down before Esau as if Esau were his master. Esau refuses to accept that, pulls him up to his own level as a peer and says, no, you're my brother. And Jacob humbly, honestly, pours out this plea that uh, they could settle affairs, that they could resolve this long-standing conflict between them. Esau eventually accepts the gift, this sort of reparations, this apology. And that's when Jacob finally realizes, okay, we're good again. Mm -hmm. Jacob has fully owned up and uh, he has deeply repented. This is one of the great moments in Jacob's life. And here is this guy who's been such a distasteful human being for years. Mm -hmm. Finally, at this glorious moment of being treated with mercy, and he knows he's being treated with mercy. Mm -hmm. And he goes into this sort of humble meltdown, and he's actually becoming a magnificent man through all of this. 
Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at CourageForLifeBible.com. That's CourageForLifeBible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. What do you make of the, um, has Jacob's wrestling with God, has his transformation led him to this moment where he can actually, where he can actually receive this from Esau? Like, is he, is that the transformation or is this the moment of transformation where it's this encounter with Esau where he's becoming, uh, he's, he's able to step into that kind of posture of humility? I think the text is almost giving us like a slow motion view of this man who is step by step mm-hmm. changing into a man of integrity, humility, and honesty. Um, it's interesting that the verse 4 says, Esau ran to meet Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob couldn't run. Mm-hmm. He was walking with a limp. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jacob limped toward Esau. Wow. Esau ran toward him. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different men. Hmm. Yeah, I, I had, I, I had never, I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. it's almost sad that Esau can still run. Oh, if only he were limping too. Wouldn't that be mm-hmm. great? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in my own personal life, and I think I imagine you guys can resonate with this. If I've been wronged, I often think that the way that this person will be led to repentance is for them to feel my wrath or to. Yeah realize how frustrated I am with them, give them the cold shoulder, silent treatment. Oh, they're not worth my time. And it's just kind of the human fleshly part. But here you see a, a, a man realizing that actually people are softened up, not by wrath, but by mercy. It reminds me of like Romans chapter two, where Paul says, do you presume on the riches and the kindness and the patience of God, not knowing that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance? It, it's so counterintuitive that kindness, mercy, generosity, grace, no, you're my brother, is what is actually going to change Jacob. Rather than making him feel the pain of his sin, he does away with his sin, which leads him to repentance. You, you, you have to be a Christian to be crazy enough to believe that gentleness and kindness will make the impact that we, we want to see. That's right. God, God understands that it actually works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's his MO with us. <laughs> Guys, where would we be today without the patience of God? Right. I've been trying God's patience since 1949 <laughs> for crying out loud. Right. The only difference between me and you is I've sinned more than you have. <laughs> well, I could put, so I give you a run. <laughs> I am living proof of the mercy and grace of God. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't we all?
and and Jacob and Esau, different as they are, uh, are reflections of that as well. The line that strikes me, and and this is one of those situations, and maybe maybe Jen, maybe you can correct me if I'm doing something wrong with the text here, but like she doesn't do that. Oh, she doesn't. <laughs> she does it very well and very kindly. Um, but. When when Jacob says, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough, there are two things that stand out to me when Jacob says that. One, please accept my blessing is the opposite of what Jacob was willing to have Esau do with their father. Mm-hmm. Essentially, Jacob stepped in to steal the blessing of their father mm-hmm. and now he's been transformed to say, please accept my blessing. And then he says, why? Because I have enough, which is the motive, which was the opposite motivation uh, when he stole the blessing. I'm going to go and take this thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself where really Esau belongs here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of con him into this. Like, I'm going to go take this thing, right? Because of some lack or some need or some want or some desire. And he's going to go take his father's blessing. Now he's here. He's received Esau's mercy and grace. And he's saying, please accept my blessing. It almost feels like this is a story, not just of two brothers reunited, but of a little bit of an undoing of the very thing that fractured them to begin with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a reversal of it. And he says, and because I have enough, and this is the guy who for the whole story can't get enough. He can't get enough blessing. He can't get enough birthright. He can't get enough, uh, parental approval. He can't get enough wives. He can't get enough children. Uh, And, you know, he's learned his lesson the hard way because of his time with Laban. And I think, you know, it is fascinating to me, the idea that here we really do see Esau almost as the embodiment of, you know, he, Jacob knows not just that he deserves the wrath of Esau, but that he deserves the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. And what he says here, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me. That makes me think of, you know, who can see the face of God and live. I mean, he's, he's got the same kind of language there. He's, he, he recognizes that Esau's treatment of him is saying something bigger than just his relationship to Esau, I would say. I think that's what we're, we're seeing there. Absolutely. Yeah, back in chapter uh, 32, he says, I have seen God face mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and yet my life has been delivered. Yeah. And he has a sort of echo of that experience yeah. now with his brother. He's beginning to connect the dots. Right. And uh, isn't it striking? He says, I have enough. How many times in my life have I been so settled, mm-hmm. satisfied, calmed, at peace, that I look at the world and down deep inside I have this feeling, I have enough. Mm-hmm. What can I share? Mm-hmm. How can I enrich others? I mean, this is a profound place God has taken him to. Yeah, It's not because God is squeezing him. Mm-hmm. It's because God has so poured a sense of divine blessing and promise into Jacob's heart that as you say, Jen, this whole story of grasping and reaching and mm-hmm. overreaching has now wonderfully defeated by grace. Yeah. Yeah. And that you're talking about grace here. I was talking with my father about this story a couple of days ago. He likes to chop up the episodes with me before we get to him. And 
Um, and um, he said, he said, you know, son, you probably could call this story the parable of the prodigal brother, mm-hmm. not the parable mm-hmm. of the prodigal son, because what you have here is, and he, I, I hadn't even thought about this. He was like, you know, the next time that you really hear, uh, not the next time, but another significant time in the Bible where you hear about somebody running out. Mm-hmm. to meet somebody, mm-hmm. to greet them, to uh, falling on them and hugging them and kissing them is the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. The son's return is, it, it echoes a lot of this story of Jacob's return to Esau. As Jacob comes back, Esau runs out to meet yeah. him before he can even get there. And it says it, he, he ran out to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed yeah. him and they wept. In the Luke 15 story, yeah. you hear, you, you know the passage and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And it says, and ran and embraced him mm. and kissed him. There's just an echo there. This is so, this is so moving. This is so powerful. I mean, this is where this, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. This is where the, the, the tilt, the lean of the whole Bible, this is where it's taking us, that the shalom of God comes down upon us through Christ. And we spend the rest of our lives spreading it out to as many people as we can. God has given us, you could write that verse over this chapter, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, if God has given it to us, it's not optional. Mm. It's authoritative. If God has given it to us, it's all of grace and mercy. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it. If it's a ministry of reconciliation, it doesn't say moments of reconciliation now and then when we feel like it, when it suits us, when it's to our advantage. But God, for all that he is, has given us graciously the ministry. Here's all we do. Here's how we roll Mm -hmm. the ministry of reconciliation, Mm -hmm. spreading the shalom of Christ in every direction as far as we can. Yeah, that message of the Bible, guys, more people need to know that's what the Bible's about. Amen. That's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And where it goes from here is they begin to journey together, having blessed and received blessing, having extended mercy and received mercy, they go on and they, they journey together. And it's very interesting because by the time we get to the end of chapter 33, it says, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. So where are we at? We're in Canaan. Mm-hmm. Jacob is there and his uh, his house is unified, so to speak. There has been a, a reconciliation that has taken place and he has now safely arrived in Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And it says, and he bought this land for a hundred pieces of money, the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent and he erected an altar. Um, and so he begins to celebrate uh, and he he magnifies God. He he sacrifices to God. He gives thanks to God in the land of Canaan. And it's fascinating to me because we've had Jacob wrestle with the Lord. He's been on this journey, but it's really not until there is this reconciliation between him and Esau that you see a kind of settling take place in the land of Canaan here. You know, you've got Jacob in the land with the Lord giving thanks to God at this altar in Canaan. And I think it's fascinating because you're almost seeing uh, God 
God's people really start to settle in the land that was always promised to them. But that settling has taken a long time. And it is, I mean, obviously the rest of Genesis is going to be about that as well, uh, of this kind of settling and then the disruption and removal of, uh, of Israel from the land. But do you think there's anything there that like Jacob is really unable through his sojournings, he's really unable to get to a place where he's able to put his roots down until this reconciliation happens with Esau, mm-hmm. right? And, and what's so striking is the, the public statement he makes by erecting this altar. It's sort of like running the flag up the flagpole mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. saluting the flag. This is his new identity, right. his new loyalty, and he's declaring it publicly to everybody around yeah. The, the watching world is seeing a new man back in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, how cool is that? Because mm-hmm. yeah. he's, he's, he's been sent away, and then he's come back, and he's been chased away by Laban. Like, th- this guy's been moving basically since Isaac's demise, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's been moving around. And then there's this other guy, his brother, who's been looming out there in the narrative. Who's just like, you're almost just like, when is that shoe going to drop? When is Jacob going to run into Esau in a back alley somewhere? And then after it happens, Esau reacts categorically differently than you might imagine Mm -hmm. he would. Jacob receives this mercy and blessing. It's kind of the climax of his own transformation, having been humbled by God and crippled by him so that he would have to trust him. And then he ends up in Canaan with, like you said, Ray, putting, running the flag up the pole, erecting an altar. This, we, uh, we are God's people, unified together. We are in the land that he promised to give us. What if for the rest of our lives, our publicly obvious identity was humility before God and reconciliation with everyone open to it? What if that's all we did is just go after people to reconcile, mm-hmm. to make friends, to build bridges, to right wrongs, as gently and humbly and honestly as we could. <laughs> that would not be a wasted life in this world. No. <laughs> There's nothing more relevant mm. or beautiful. Any final thoughts as we land here together? Anything that you feel like we've, we've passed over, we've glossed over in this account? One thing I wanted to just make a comment on, and I think this kind of continues Ray's last thought of, of all people, Christians, gospel people, grace people, mercy people, reconciliation people, this should be us. Uh, and the only way it can be accomplished is through Christ and Christ in us. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. The other passage that comes to my mind is Ephesians chapter two, where this dividing wall of hostility is brought down. I'll, I'll read just a, a portion of it beginning in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Mm-hmm. That's what makes all of this possible. Mm-hmm. That we can be at peace with all people because we've been given peace through Christ. He who has made both of us one and has broken down in the flesh this dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace. And in a sense, you get a picture of that in, in Genesis chapter three, that yes, they're brothers, but one new human, one new family is being forged. This family mm. is coming back together in a way that they were intended to be together uh, in God's created order. But, but because of sin, because of deception, they've been torn apart and hostility has come, but this family is now reconciled in a way that the human family can experience reconciliation in Christ. Jen, what are your top line thoughts from this section of Genesis? 
oh, this is horrible, but I wish that we didn't have to record the next episode because I hate to go to the next chapter in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, um, I don't know that the beauty of this part of the story is lost in it because I think there's a huge reassurance headed our way that Israel, who, you know, he, he here's where the name schizophrenia begins. He's Israel in one chapter, he's Jacob in the next, as mm-hmm. he now is on this path where he is doing battle with who he was, um, as that that old nature keeps creeping back in to his, his newfound um, perspective. And so uh, I always say in the book of Genesis, there are so many places where you wish you could just draw the curtain and roll the credits, but the text just keeps moving. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't mean that in any particular scene, we don't savor what is happening and recognize that if you don't have the grace and the mercy of this scene, then whatever happens in the next scene, you're, you're not ready for it with the hope that that the Lord who is steadfast and abounding in love and his compassion uh, is going to be there on the other side of whatever the next uh, trial is that we encounter. Wow. That's so profound. Yeah. I think that uh, the uh, the hardship that I feel whenever I'm coming away from a story like this is, uh, or the difficulty I feel is, I feel very much like what you just said, Jen, that like, I, I don't want, like, I know what's coming in 34. Mm-hmm. And it's a reminder to me that uh, even in the face of this beautiful story of reconciliation, um, that there is going to be darkness ahead uh, and they're going to be dark days for Jacob's family. And many of the wrongs that Jacob committed against Esau, his sons are going to commit against mm-hmm. one of their brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, like the la- like that beautiful line at the end of Genesis, like what men have meant for evil, God is going to mean mm-hmm. for good. He's going to purpose right. it. Mm-hmm. And this is a small picture of what is going to be echoed throughout the very long story of Joseph that we're about to dive into. Uh, where we're going to get to see. And to think that Joseph was a witness of this gracious reconciliation, this moment, this event, to me is a picture of God even then planting the seed of what he was going to use Joseph to do. Yeah, absolutely. This is not just an isolated individual moment. God right here in this moment in the heart of a young boy is shaping the moral imagination of the reconciliation of his father and his uncle, these two men in his life. I love that. And I think that's that's probably the sweetest spot for us to land on. As Ray was saying, you know, what would the world be like if we actually lived these kinds of lives, these acts of reconciliation? And in this story, I think you see the power of one witnessed act of restoration in the formation of a person who arguably in the Old Testament, I would make the argument that Joseph is the most compelling type of Christ that we see in all of the Old Testament. And he bears witness to this and, he, and then he then models it. He takes it in and he demonstrates it himself. Um, someone who y- you could argue is, is wronged um, beyond all reason. Wrong, and, and wronged in a way, obviously, that's pointing to, to what will happen to the suffering, the, the sufferings of Christ. So um, I love it. It makes me think, when do I do this? Um, and who might be watching, not just if I do, but good heavens, what if I don't? And someone witnesses that, you know, I want to be a person who is remembered for having gone um, unexpectedly to the places where reconciliation was needed and and gone beyond what was expected um, in the face of great offense. Yeah. Jen, that's so powerful. 
There's no pain like the pain of broken relationships, mm -hmm. and there's no glory like the power of reconciliation. And when uh, we have mistreated one another, Francis Schaeffer used to taught us, we need to write letters, we need to make calls and go extend apologies and try to make things right. And it's hard to do that when we have done wrong. It is harder to accept an apology and truly to forgive mm -hmm. and absorb that into ourselves. And yet Jesus has done for that, done that for us. Yeah. And we have the, actually the sacred privilege, the difficult but sacred privilege of being the most forgiving people on the face of the earth. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's our calling. That's a holy calling. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, uh, Pastor Ray, thank you for jumping yes, on with thank us. You. That was a blessing to us. And it was great. We're grateful that, that you took the time to be with us today. And it's a privilege. And isn't it great to look at these amazing things in the Bible and be startled mm -hmm. all over again with how glorious this story of grace really is. Amen. Absolutely. If you enjoyed the conversation, you can join it by finding us on social media at Knowing Faith Podcast, at Facebook, Instagram, wherever. Uh, and in our next episode, we'll continue the story of Genesis together. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace. Mm -hmm.